Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Welcome again to another edition of Blue Gold Report. I'm Todd Burlidge. I'll be your host today. Rags is out. I'm a contributing writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated, Associated Press, University of Notre Dame, and I'm joined by my trusty co-host, who fills in quite a bit these days, Mason Plummer. Mason is a student down at Ball State University. You can find him on Twitter at Mason Plummer, numeral six, Mason Plummer six. Does a lot of great work for Slap the Sign in terms of covering Notre Dame. Mason, how are you, sir? Doing great, Todd. Good to be here. Glad to be in studio for once. Yeah, exactly. He's back uh, for the Navy game this weekend, so he's here in town. We actually have him in studio. Before we get gone any further, I should mention that we were brought to you by Dio McComb & Sons Funeral Homes in Fort Wayne. A lot of great guys there. I actually used to room with somebody that worked there way back when. So I know quite a few folks at Dio McComb & Sons, really good guys. Uh, they'll take good care of you for sure. Um, Mason, great win over Duke. Another pesky opponent, I think, in Navy. We'll get to all that. We have a special guest coming on here in a little bit. Tim Grunhardt, he was a two-time All-American, 88 and 89. Uh, he was a left guard, I'm sorry, a starting guard, offensive guard for Notre Dame back in the day when they won the title in 88 and 89. The, ring, the reason I wanted Tim to come on here is to kind of break down, because it was this week, 30 years ago, that Notre Dame set the record with 23 straight wins. It's the all-time football winning streak record, and Tim Grunhard was a part of that, all 23 of those games, actually. So he's going to come on, revisit that for us. We're going to talk about a couple other things with him. But before we dive into all that, let's start like we do every show with our Blue Gold Nuggets. thought this one was kind of interesting right out of, right out of the gate. Since Thanksgiving Day, 1973, Notre Dame Stadium has sold out every single game. That streak will come to an end this weekend. After 273 games, the Navy game did not sell out. So that streak will come to an end again. Thanksgiving Day of 1973. It was actually uh, Notre Dame's 273-game sellout streak was the second longest to Nebraska's 373. So Nebraska has 100 more on them. Nebraska plays Wisconsin this weekend, so I'm quite sure that's going to sell out. Notre Dame Stadium holds 77,622 for those that were interested. Um, For what it's worth, though, Notre Dame does have the fourth longest home winning streak that it's going to put up against Navy here of 16 games. Clemson has 21, Central Florida 20, and Ohio State 19. That's kind of interesting right there, I thought, as well. So the streak comes to an end. That's one streak uh, that has been going on for a long time. Yahoo put out some bowl projections. You can find these anywhere on the internet, but this one was uh, kind of jumped out at me. Yahoo has Notre Dame playing Wisconsin in the Citrus Bowl on January 1. I don't know about that, Mason, because these two teams will play in 2020 at Lambeau Field and then 2021 at Soldier Field, so I think they would try to stay away from having these two teams match up in a bowl game. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. For what it's worth, if indeed this matchup happens, Notre Dame versus Wisconsin. Wisconsin comes in this week at number 14 in the playoff poll, 7-2. Notre Dame number 16 at 7-2. Top five teams, number one, LSU, with a big win over Alabama. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Clemson. Number four, Georgia. And number five, Alabama. Mason, were you surprised that Georgia uh, leapfrogged Alabama there? Yeah, I just wish the committee would stay consistent (laughs) with what they want to do from year to year. It seems like they're rewarding... Georgia for their loss it seems like you know they're kind of throwing out the South Carolina oh you know South Carolina it's fine but uh 
at the same time, Georgia doesn't really have any real quality wins either. And I think you know Alabama lost to a very good LSU team. Right. So I don't know how you stack that against the, against each other, but I guess the SEC always works itself out, so it should be okay. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, there you go again. The SEC, in my opinion, always gets the favorable treatment, but that should shake itself out. Let's hope so anyways. The SEC is the only conference eligible to get two into the playoffs. That's not going to happen anywhere else. A uh, little bit of personnel news. Cole Komet, not a huge surprise here. And uh, Liam Eichenberg, they will both return next year for their senior seasons. Um, Komet kind of saw this come because I actually asked him a couple weeks ago if indeed he was going to return and play baseball. And I thought, well, if he says yes, he's come back and playing baseball, then he is not going to the NFL draft. He said, yeah, I can't wait to play baseball, actually. So I thought the, the cat was out of the bag there a little bit. Part of the reason Cole wants to play baseball is his younger brother, Casey, is joining the Irish baseball team. He's a third baseman and a catcher. So you might end up with a Cole Casey Komet battery here. It's quite possible pitcher and catcher. Um, Cole will graduate in December of 2020. He's on that three and a half year accelerated plan. And then indeed in 2021, he will go to the NFL draft. A little bit of bad news here. Uh, Julian Aquara broke his left fibia. He is out for the rest of the year. Obviously, his career is also over. So uh, it'll be kind of a bittersweet senior day for him when Boston College comes to town. Mason, those are your blue gold nuggets, by the way, folks. Let's dive in a little bit to this Duke game. Uh, Ian Book has been taking a lot of heat. Certainly didn't take any heat in this impressive 38-7 win. As a matter of fact, Ian Book became the first quarterback in Notre Dame history to throw for four touchdowns and rush for more than 100 yards. It was 139 yards to be exact. Obviously a career high. It was on only 12 carries. Mason, do you think Ian was hearing all the negative criticism and said, you know what, I'll show you all. I think that was definitely part of it, and I think part of it also was that whether it's Chip Long or Brian Kelly getting in his ear, that if you're going to run, if he's going to have the happy feet that I've mentioned in my articles and mm-hmm. mentioned on the show with you, do it with a purpose, and that's what he did. He's running with a purpose rather than just kind of running around and then end up, and ends up running out of bounds and losing five yards. If you're going to run, do it vertically, not east-west. So he's running with a purpose, and if you're going to do it, do it. And um, it worked out really well for Notre Dame, and uh, I think it's a wrinkle in the offense that Duke wasn't really ready for. You make a great point there because it was, you know, in previous games when we were talking about it, uh, during the show, you mentioned it, you know, the happy feed. He wasn't sure when to run, if to run now, as long as he just sticks the foot in the ground and goes. He is a great athlete and can get things done there. Again, um, 139 yards on the ground. He was 18 of 32 passing for 181 yards as well. Uh, had runs, and this goes to your point, I think, Mason, of 53 and 45 yards. So certainly uh, a double a, uh, a, a dual threat in this particular game. George Takix. The tight end caught his first career touchdown pass. That means this year, nine touchdowns to tight ends this season, Mason, which is a record at Notre Dame. It broke the record of eight set in both 2013 and 1991. So Ian Book, certainly it starts with Cole Komet, but he is looking for these guys big time, and I think they become a huge weapon for him and and, and an important one. Well, I think it's about time. Uh, Last season, Cole Komet was open down the seams so much, and you You'd hear about it all over Notre Dame Twitter, and you'd even hear Doug Flutie talk about it, that Cole Komet's wide open, but Ian Book wasn't looking for him. And that was a big thing that I saw in the offseason practice and in spring practice was that he's looking for Komet, and it's paying off. And it's not just Komet, it's it's Tommy Tremble. It's right, uh, right. occasionally Brock Wright, and you see George Takic getting a touchdown too. Um, yeah, it's important to look for your big tight ends and maybe uh, tight end universities back. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. Yeah, pretty good stable of them there, Mason. 
It was the 21st, and Brian Kelly's been really good in these types of games, on the road, against unranked teams. He's been fabulous. As a matter of fact, this is the 21st straight win over an unranked team for Notre Dame, obviously all under Brian Kelly here. That may not sound like a whole lot, you know, 21 wins over the unranked, but it really is. As a matter of fact, Notre Dame and Alabama are the only two teams in the country that have not lost to an unranked team since the start of the 2017 season. So you, it's out there. You can get tripped up. Notre Dame could get, well, I guess Navy is ranked this weekend, but certainly you can get tripped up at any point in college football. So while Brian Kelly continues to struggle in these big games, the Georgias, the Michigans, at least he's getting stuff done on the other end. Right, yeah. And ideally, you. I mean, personally, I'd like to lose. Let's say you lose to a Duke or something like mm-hmm. that, but you win the big one. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. You're, he's winning the games he's supposed to, and occasionally nick a game maybe you're not supposed to but you'd you'd really like to start winning the big ones all right we're going to move on to navy here in a second but before we do let's bring in tim tim grunhard tim again he was a all-american guard offensive guard for notre dame 88 and 89 when that team set the winning streak all-time football winning streak of 23 games Uh, that included the 88 undefeated season national championship season and then well into obviously the 89 season when they eventually lost at Miami. So here's Tim. Tim, in 1988, you actually beat four top 10 teams. Not a lot of folks have done that. Not a lot of teams over the years have done that. Miami, Michigan, West Virginia, and USC. You know, you mentioned before that you, you didn't feel a lot of pressure, but certainly when you're when you're playing a schedule like that, it had to get your attention. Well, you know, absolutely. You know, I, I, I don't think that the streak put a lot of pressure on us, but we certainly you know, put a lot of pressure on ourselves and went in a lot of those games to make sure that we played our best. And, you know, Lou would have a list of things, you know, make, take care of the ball, you know, score in the red zone. Don't settle for, for three, you got to score six. And, uh, you know, time of possession and, and all those kind of good things. And, you know, we just kind of went about saying, listen, if we can do these things, and, uh, you know, we knew we had a good defense and offensively we knew if we could, you know, eat the clock up a little bit, take care of the ball, and, you know, score uh, six, and we, we got into the red zone. We had opportunities to win those games. And, and uh, you know, we did that most of the time, obviously, the one time we played Michigan early uh, in that streak. Uh, Reggie Hill kicked a bunch of field goals. Right. It kind of scared us, and it kind of made us realize, hey, you know, you got to put, put it in the end zone. You don't want to always put it on, on a kicker to, to make a field goal to win a game. So, you know, we kind of took that personal and said, hey, listen, we got to go about our business and score touchdowns. The previous record was 21. You guys obviously made it to 23. The previous record was 21 uh, under Frank Leahy. What I'm curious about, Tim, okay, so you tie the record. Were you guys aware you were making history when you had that 22nd win against SMU? You know what? I mean, I, I really don't remember them making a real big deal out of it. Okay. Um, I do remember, uh, you know, that there was a streak, and I do remember that you know that you know every once in a while some of the guys would talk about it, but I don't remember Lou Holtz and the coaching staff really bringing it up very much. You know, it was a great, great streak with a lot of great players, and we feel honored to be in the record books at Notre Dame for sure. having those, those those games. But you know, it really, it's really important. You're a college kid; you're, you're worrying about your classes, you're worrying about taking those tests, and you're worrying about you know, getting to practice on time and, and you're worried about, you know, all the things you worry about as a college kid. And, right. Um, you know, I don't, I don't remember really being over, overly worried about, about that streak, but you know, 
thinking back in retrospect, uh, it was it was an amazing streak with a bunch of amazing guys. But yeah, I, I think you if you ask to a man, most of the guys were just going about their business and, and doing their thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of great players, as you mentioned there. Okay, so the streak ends November twenty fifth and a twenty seven ten loss at Miami. Okay, uh, obviously a huge rivalry back in the day uh, with the Hurricanes. Do you remember that game? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that game. Uh, you know, we went uh, and it was a hostile environment. They were ready for us after the '88 game. Sure. You know, there's the old adage with you know the t-shirts and the, the fumbles and the non-fumbles and and all those things. But um, we went in there and it was a hostile environment. And uh, uh, you know, I, I remember that uh, there was a key play. I believe it was third down, like 32 or something, and they converted. Or something crazy like that. I think that's what it was. And I was like, maybe, yeah. I said, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't our day. And uh, you know, they just were better than us that day. We had some turnovers. We did some of the things that we both said we can't do. You know, we didn't score uh, touchdowns. We got in the red zone. I think we we're just field goal. And uh, so, you know, we we kind of went against them. That streak. Uh, so yeah, that was. Uh, that, I still remember that game, and you know, it was a heartbreaker, but. You know, we knew we had one more game uh, together as, as a team, uh, and that was going to be the bowl game. And I think we were, we, were, we went in and played uh, against Colorado yep. uh, right after that. It was ranked number one, and and probably my favorite drive of my whole career was that last drive against Colorado. We ran the ball, I don't know, like 14 or 15 times in a row, about eight minutes of the clock, and won the game. And, you know, so that, that kind of made up for that uh, that loss against Miami. Yeah, great bounce back loss. Talking to Tim Grunhardt, he was a all-American in 88 and 89, a guard for Notre Dame. Tim, I'm going to switch gears on you. I just have a couple more for you. I want you, I want you to uh, talk about Colin, Tim's son, Colin Grunhardt. He's a backup center here at Notre Dame and a good kid. I've had a chance to talk to him a couple times. Tim, what has your experience been like, father-son, going through Notre Dame here? It's been great. Uh, you know, I, I let Colin be his own man, and, you know, one of the things that I told him when, when he was coming here, I said, you know, listen, there's no added pressure uh, that you have to do this or you have to do that in order to live up to anything. I said, you know, you're your own guy. And uh, he's come in here fresh, and he's come in here with a great attitude. And, uh, you know, he's a walk-on. And um, he, he decided, I said, I'm going to go walk on to the place that my mom went and my dad went, my grandfather went, my great-grandfather went. So And his sister, who's a swimmer here. So. Right. You know, we had a big family presence, and he thought it was more important to uh, go to a school that he knew his family to enjoy the four years that he was here or the five years that he's here and watch him play football. And, and to me, that was uh, a very unselfish decision by him. Okay, so speaking of family, last one for me, Tim. When I was texting with you earlier to see if you could come on the show, you mentioned you were going to have a chili cook-off tomorrow, <laughs> Saturday. Uh, that has to be some big doings there, I'm thinking. <laughs> it is. It's it. It's the uh, it's the parent uh, uh, football parent uh, chili cookoff, and uh, there, there's a lot of the offensive linemen, the lugs, and the, and the uh, Gibbons, and and, uh, and I, I think there might be a couple of the defensive linemen's parents. So yeah, this is a big big competition. It's the whole team. So uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll see who else brings their food in, but they're, they're chili in. But we're, we're excited about. It. We think we have a secret weapon. I can't tell you what, it is, but I think we have a secret weapon that's going to win the whole thing. So you like your chances, huh? <laughs> I like our chances. It has something to do with the New Mexico chili, but I'll just leave it at that. Very nice, very nice. Tim Grunhardt, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Enjoy your weekend here up uh, up here at Notre Dame, and we'll chat soon, okay? 
It's always great to be back up here. Thank you guys so much. All right. Really appreciate him joining us. Uh, really added some nice flavor to the show here, I think, um, having lived that. And it was just kind of ironic that, indeed, it's the 30-year. This week is the 30-year anniversary of when, indeed, that record was set. So, again, we appreciate it, Tim. All right, Mason, let's talk a little Navy here. This team is dangerous. Uh, let's see, number 21, Navy, 7-1. and one. Number 16, Notre Dame, 7-2. and two. It's the first time... Both both teams were ranked when they played each other. It's the first meeting between two ranked teams here, Navy and Notre Dame, going all the way back to 1978. You would have thought somewhere along the line that would have happened, but I guess Navy was pretty crummy there for a good stretch of time. Obviously, Navy first in the nation in rushing. That never changes. 357.9 yards a game. That's impressive stuff. It all starts with quarterback Malcolm Perry, the senior quarterback, he rushes for 133.3 yards per game, and that's number five in the country. Mason, you know what you're going to get against Navy, but that doesn't mean you can't stop it. Right, yeah. Malcolm Perry is not the kind of guy like their fullbacks that's going to run over you or anything, right. but anytime he's in space, he's hard to tackle. And like I said, he's not a big guy. He stands, they have him listed at like 5'10", 170, but he's no more than 5'8", right. 160. Um, he reminds me a lot of like a Tariq Cohen from the Bears. Um, he just He's small, but he's shifty in space, and if you get him the ball in space, he's going to make people miss. And, uh, yeah, Notre Dame needs to be sure tackling and just needs to be real sound on defense. It seems like a lot of times Brian Kelly's tried to build in a bye week before this Navy when they try to st- stop this triple options, which is very difficult. I Somebody did ask him, how do you prepare for it? And he said it really starts even in the recruiting season. They will actually recruit guys, walk-ons, that can kind of mimic – what Navy does in its offense. I thought that that is respect right there when you're spending some of your time recruiting to a certain opponent with the way they play, but I guess it's such a unique challenge. It makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and also scholarship athletes that you see that really shine in this game, no one really knew what Greer Martini could do against Navy until he did it. And then you have another Greer Martini-like player in Drew White. Right. Drew White shined last year and expect him to shine again this year. It's that that kind of player. It's a sure tackler and plays with instincts. And it, it will maybe we'll see another guy shine this year. Uh, I expect Drew White to have a huge game against Navy, though. Yeah, you go back to last year. Drew Tranquil was out with a, uh, I believe it was an ankle injury, so they plugged in Drew White uh, for this Navy game. Which boy, talk about a baptism by fire! Well, he came up big as you mentioned. He, I believe, it was seven total tackles. We were all checking our rosters, going, "Who the heck is this guy?" Never, you know, he's all over the field, and and. So some guys just seem more cut out for for playing against this um, this option game, and I don't really know why that is or how that goes. Uh, Navy comes in with five straight wins and off a bye. Another team off a bye. Uh, seven of them this year. Notre Dame plays that will come off byes. Boston College will again next week. Navy has not trailed in almost four full games. They're getting it done, Mason. And you talked about um, Malcolm Perry not being the biggest guy in the world. But uh, as I look at their roster and actually watch them play a little bit, it looks to me like a different Navy team. They have some big dudes up front and some big linebackers. Typically, we're always talking about when this when this game comes around, well, Notre Dame should be able to push them around, you know, control the line of scrimmage. That's how you're going to beat them. I'm not seeing that so much this year. Yeah, they are really big on the lines, which is different. Normally, yeah. normally Navy just has some athletes, you know, guys that can stand toe-to-toe, but Notre Dame normally has the bigger, stronger guys. Although um, their lack of size happens to come in the secondary, I, I've done some Navy studying, and uh, if 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 Chase Claypool and Cole Kmet can't get the ball over to, over the top of these short corners okay. and, sa- and safeties, 
uh, we got a problem. I think Ian Book should have no problem torching that secondary. But if uh, if the offensive line, the newly recreated offensive line, can't give him time with uh, with the size of this Navy defense, I might give him a problem. Mason does the game previews for SlapTheSign.com. Really good work, Mason. What else jumped out at, out at you when you were putting that article together? It was the the way that Navy's offense is set up. It's not it, it's not the same as you'd normally see. Um, Malcolm Perry's a different kind of quarterback. He's not the same as ones we've seen in the past. You know, they haven't had a really great quarterback in a couple years, and uh, he's he's going to be interesting. It's it's going to be really fun to watch. I think he's a guy I'm looking forward to watching. He's not the kind of guy that's going to go to the NFL or anything, but he's a really electric player, and it all it all runs through him. I highlight that a lot in my uh, game day primer at Slap the Sign. That'll be coming out at about noon on Saturday tomorrow. Um, yeah, he's he's a difference maker when the ball's in his hands and he makes the right decisions. And uh, he's he's a guy that's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, y- you know, I mean, you could almost just play the same show over and over every year because it's it, it's the same topics. You know, Navy they're going to try to keep the possessions down. They're really good on third down. They're really good on fourth down. They need to stay ahead of the chains, though. You get Navy in trouble when you get them in those third and long situations because typically Malcolm Perry, I think he averages six passes a game. It's more of a surprise tactic right. than anything when you're talking about Navy's aerial game. But it, it can be effective. They can hit some big ones because they kind of lull you to sleep with that running game. We, we've seen it here, right here at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly's actually lost to Navy twice. Uh, it was in 2010 during his first season here. And then 2016, when Notre Dame was not very good at all. Uh, Brian Kelly has won seven of the last eight against Navy. We'll say that. Mason, uh, let's talk some predictions here. I'm going to throw it at you. Tell me what you think and how this game's going to go. Well, it's all about possessions. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day that was really hitting on Navy. And they they were just saying that, as everybody knows, it's about possessions when it's a team that runs the ball nine plays out of ten. And if they're going to run the clock out and they have these long, strong eight to ten minute possessions that, you know, Notre Dame's going to get the ball six or seven times and you have to score on you have to score touchdowns on most of those. And they shouldn't have really have a problem. This Navy defense is good, but not great. Um, Notre Dame should be able to score. But, um, yeah, it's going to come down to really you got to make the most of every every single possession. Right. right. And uh, yeah, so I have it at 24-17 Notre Dame. What do you got, Todd? Keeping that score down there, I see. It was funny. I don't remember what game it was. Was it last year or two years ago? I think it was two years ago. Navy controlled the time of possession. (laughs) It was such a distinct advantage for them. Notre Dame had six possessions for the entire game. Six possessions for the entire game. They ended up winning it. I don't even think they had the ball in the fourth quarter. I should have looked that up. The time of possession was unbelievable. Navy was well into the 40-minute mark of that so certainly that's not what Notre Dame wants. You know, you, you, you obviously Navy's going to move the ball, keep the clock running. It's typically a quick game, but you don't want it to look like that. And I don't think it will. I think Navy's got. I, I think you hit on it earlier that Ian Book's going to be able to hit on some bigger plays over the top and beat Navy that way. And I like Notre Dame thirty-four, Navy twenty-four. I do think Navy's going to going to get some stuff done there. Mason, uh, let's move on briefly to hoops before we run out of time here. Uh, the men, they have won two straight going into this weekend here. Uh, they do play Friday night. For full disclosure, we tape on Friday afternoon. So if you're listening to the radio show in Fort Wayne, uh, this game, the, the the Notre Dame-Marshall game already happened. If it's on the podcast, indeed, it's 7 o'clock Purcell Pavilion. 
uh, against Marshall, a team that was won 24 games last year, by the way, but uh, one and one so far this year. Uh, this is part of a six-game home uh, home streak for Notre Dame, uh, mainly against crummy teams, and then we'll get into some of the better stuff when they go to Maryland up the line here. My editor at Blue and Gold Illustrated and I, we had a debate in one of our articles about which team would have the better year, the Notre Dame men or the Notre Dame women, and I said, oh, it's got to be the women with that recruiting class when more injuries continue to hurt this team. And so for the first time and since 2010, Mason, the Notre Dame women have dropped two in a row to probably drop them right out of that top 25, probably for the first time, and I don't even know how long. But yeah, for the first time since November 2010, they've lost ten, uh, two straight, first to Tennessee, and then to Michigan State. So the girls, hopefully, and Muffet McGraw can get that situated. Mason, I didn't write it down, but I did ask you, who. Uh, what's what's the hockey got going on this weekend? Yeah, hockey's got a back-to-back in Wisconsin against Wisconsin. Uh, they traditionally have a very good program out there. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so the, the hockey teams looked really good this season, so that should be a good test for them. 2.30, Navy, Notre Dame should be a good time. I think the weather's going to hold up a little bit, be a little chilly, but that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. With that uh, Tim Grunhard, we thank you again for coming on the show. We're brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes in Fort Wayne. Mason Plummer, you can find him at MasonPlummer6 on Twitter, SlapTheSign.com. Mason, great to have you in studio. Thanks, man, for coming in. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate the time. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.